Heavenly Father, we just thank you that in this world, uh, through your word, you guide us so that we may live a life that is uh, trusting and obedient to you. And we just pray, Father, that as we uh, look at your word this morning, again, you'd help us to understand your perspective in life so that we might live as you would desire us to live in this world. Amen. I often get asked, what is life like uh, overseas? Or what, I not- what do I notice about life uh, when I get back here in Australia? And one of the things that strikes me uh, uh, when I think about this is life here is a lot more predictable. Now, I don't necessarily mean that it's boring. Rather, predictable can mean certainty. It can mean security. And the result of having certainty and security, namely, comfort. Now, to a Filipino who is never sure... Uh, about whether uh, what they will eat tomorrow, this is actually quite a dream situation. And actually one of the reasons my parents immigrated to this country. But predictability can also lead to a sense of sameness or inescapability. And so our comfortable life doesn't always lead us to a sense of happiness and fulfillment, but rather a sense of emptiness and feeling trapped. Because, think about it, if you're a retiree, tomorrow won't be that much different today. And for the rest of us, tomorrow is just another workday. You wake up, catch the bus or the train to work, and you get home later uh, that day, exhausted at 6pm. And you do it again the next day, and the next and the next. And when it comes to the, to the weekend, you're still working, doing the things that you couldn't do during the week and being a taxi service to your children. And then you start the cycle all over again the following week. So there's a certain monotony to life. There's a certain tediousness to it. And as a result, life can feel a little stale, a little mundane. And over time, it can feel like you're just stuck in a rut. So if this is what what life is like in our lucky country, I wonder, how do you live a full life with what we have left and not get stuck in a rut? Consider then the teacher who sympathizes with our feelings of sameness and tediousness. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 8, and this is my translation, all this monotony is tiresome. No one can bear to describe it. The eye is never satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear ever content with hearing. Now, in fact, he goes on a bit further. You go on uh, actually earlier than this in verse 2. He says, meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, when you read that, it's not hard to get depressed uh, when, when you hear those words over and over again. So it's not surprising that many actually don't know what to do with this particular book in the Bible, to the point that some Christians actually treat his words as almost heretical. 
But there are actually two keys to understanding the mind of this wise teacher. Firstly, you've got to understand the subject area. So you go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3. Notice the question that he asks in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, what does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? So understand that his conclusion, which is actually in verse 2 of that chapter, is not actually about all life. Rather, they are quite specific to the pursuit of gain, profit, and advantage. Secondly, when the teacher says meaningless, he doesn't just mean that it's pointless. See, literally the word here just means vapor or mist. Now, when you see vapor or mist, it's beyond your grasp. It's elusive. It's hard to get hold of. And vapor, when you look at it, doesn't last at all. It's it's temporary. So what the teacher is saying to us is that the whole idea of gain, profit, and advantage in life, that is pursuing it, is actually pointless because ultimately it is elusive. It is temporary. And he continues to explore this same point in chapter 3 and 4 by reflecting on the issues of time and the timing of things. So have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 to 8, which was read to us. Just have a look at it. Notice how the teacher simply describes how things are rather than prescribes what we are to do. See, this is a characteristic of this particular book and wisdom literature in general in the Old Testament. It wants us to consider, reflect, and feel rather than just telling us what to actually think. As such, feel and sense how in each line, how there's like an ebb and a flow to it, like two sides of a pendulum swing, a time to be born a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Now he's not saying that one is necessarily better than the other. For example, according to my wife, Giving birth is probably just as painful as dying. Rather, he's actually showing how things are. That there's actually a rhythm, a flow, and a pulse to life in God's creation. So that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, the first part of it, the teacher concludes, God has made everything fit and beautiful in its own time. So in a world that seems uncertain, arbitrary, and even sometimes chaotic, the teacher wants us to know that there's actually a sense of fit, appropriateness, place, and timing to everything in this world. But knowing that everything in life has a sense of fit, appropriateness, place, and timing doesn't make the pursuit of gain, 
a profitable experience. See, he considers his original question in verse 9 of chapter 3. What does the worker gain, benefit or profit from his toil? That's his question. And yet, knowing that God has designed an appropriate time for everything, according to verse 3 to 10, he says it's still a burden and a source of frustration. Now, the question here is why? The clue is actually in verse 11. And if you look at verse 11, notice how there's a word there that says eternity. Now, there's more than one way to translate the word there uh, in in this verse. But if we stick to the context, it seems to suggest that it has something to do with the way God has made us and this world. See, in a timed world, we recognize that there's a time and a place for things. And that in order to discern and take advantage of this fact, we need a sense of the larger picture. However, in chapter 11, the last part of it, it says, But we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So we are actually limited in the sense that we cannot know or grasp more than our immediate moment. See, God has not given us the wider perspective to allow us to discern timing, fit, and appropriateness of things in order to make the pursuit of gain a profitable experience. And the teacher observes this human limitation with the issue of injustice. Chapter 3, verse 16 to 17 says, And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. So I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. But notice how there's a gap or a disconnect with the following verse, in verse 18 to 19. But I also thought, as for men, God tests them so that that they may see that they are like animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over an animal. Everything is meaningless. Now notice that it's more resigned and depressed compared to verse 17. And I think what is happening here is that knowing that there is a time when God will judge the wicked, doesn't always give comfort or a positive perspective when facing injustice. Because we don't always know how or when justice will occur. That's why verse uh, verse 21 and 22 are questions expressing feelings of uncertainty and unease. See, in my situation, I see corruption and injustice in the Philippines every day in front of me. And as a Christian, I know that God will bring justice. But it still makes me feel depressed, angry, and helpless when I see injustice. I still pray and call out, when, Lord, when? See, justice can still feel a mis- feel like a mystery 
even though we know that there is a day of reckoning, because we cannot grasp more than our immediate moment. God still hasn't given us the entire picture to have an exact sense of his timing in order to allow us to always feel secure and have comfort in the face of injustice. Now, injustice may not be what you face every day, but the teacher sees our limitation by our inability to make work a profitable experience. See, chapter 4, verse 4, he says, And I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. See, achievement and success in work boils down to competition. Now, that might not be a problem for you, but think of the wider social implications. Competition means that someone always loses which can lead to a breakdown in relationship and also of community. And when you weigh the cost to the reward from all our work and achievement, it's doubtful whether you actually make a profit. Because relationships and community is very valuable. Chapter 4, verse 9 to 12, he says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who has no one to help him uh, help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. See, understand, this is actually a social cost to a culture that values achievement, productivity, and success over relationships and community. And our Australian culture is not always aware nor counts the cost because it cannot grasp more than the immediate moment, more than the immediate situation. See, in the end, the teacher is only echoing what is written elsewhere in wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Job chapter 28 In that chapter, uh, it talks about how God has given human beings the ability to do extraordinary things. So we are brilliant compared to the rest of creation. But God has also imposed limits. And as such, we are brilliant yet bounded. And this is the burden and frustration that the teacher feels. We know that there is actually more than this immediate moment. But God has only allowed us to grasp our current moment. And as a result, we are unable to discern the right timing of things in order to make the pursuit of gain a profitable one on a consistent basis. So then, what are we to do? Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Verse 12 to 13. The teacher says, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. 
See, notice how there's a disconnect between the frustration of chapter of verse 10 to 11 and these particular verses. Now again, it's intentional because he's showing us a different perspective, a different way of life, of just living and enjoying the moment. Yes, we know that there's more than just this present moment, but we don't have the wider picture to take advantage of that particular insight. So just enjoy and live the moment that God gives. And we can live the moment and not worry about what will come because we can trust that God is sovereign. Chapter 3, verse 14, he says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. So when, when we come back to our question, how do you live a full life with what we have left? and not get stuck in the rut? Well, we escape, we escape the monotony and tediousness of our busy life when simply you just go with the flow and just live the moment because God gives joy and beauty that is fit and appropriate for each moment and time. See, friends, this is actually the key to getting, stuck, uh, to getting yourself out of a rut. Just go with the flow and live appreciating the moments that God gives. See, in our situation on the field in the Philippines, uh, one of the things we often struggle with is how slow the work is. And what we've come to understand is basically God has his own timing to things. And if we, and we found that if you, you just got to roll with it because if you don't, it's just an exercise in frustration. Now, when you hear, when you first hear that, you gotta admit, it sounds a bit like, uh, hippie talk. Okay? I understand if you feel uneasy about it. And I think part of our difficulty today in our urbanized Australian culture is that we actually have a different idea to time and how we make use of our time. See, different cultures understand and use time in different ways. See, in the Philippines, when you go to the doctor, there's no such thing as making an appointment. Okay, people go to the hospital, and then they just wait. They don't bring things to do to fill up their time. They just patiently and contently wait. They just go with the flow because waiting is what is expected and appropriate in that particular situation. So they have a concept of time that's actually quite similar to the teacher uh, in this passage. But when I wait for the doctor in the Philippines, I know it can take hours. Literally, it could take me the whole day. So I take things to do. I make the most of waiting, uh, most of that time waiting. And, and that's because I grew up in an Australian culture where we tend to think of time as having a beginning and an end. Now, the Bible also has this same point of view because the biblical storyline has a beginning and an end. But in this understanding, time is limited. Time is finite. 
And as such, we put a value in using our time and planning ahead. Because being, about being efficient and productive. So a good day is a full day. A good life is a full life. And as a result, we tend to live quite hectic lives in comparison to someone uh, who's living in the Philippines. Because time for us here in Australia is finite. It has an end. But when you live like that, it's hard to feel and sense that there is a rhythm and a pulse to life of seeing beauty and joy that is fit and appropriate for the moment. So I think the teacher's perspective actually challenges our perspective and way of life and invites us to consider a new one. Because our feelings of emptiness and of being stuck in a rut, it comes from the fact that we are often too busy and time poor, which disconnects us from the rhythm, the flow, and the pulse that God has designed into life. See, we have exchanged the value of finding and seeing beauty that is fit in its own time for a busy life that is about fitting everything in our time, which means that, in effect, we actually have no time to appreciate and give thanks for the beauty and the joy that God has designed in our life and in the correct creation around us. See, friends, you don't need to be a genius to figure out that our way of life has a certain emptiness to, uh, to it. See, just think, why is it that we constantly feel the urge to upgrade our gadgets, our cars, and our house every couple of years when we don't need it? I wonder if it's because buying things uh, that we don't need actually gives us a feeling of something new in a life that it often feels same boring and empty. See, when people here talk about a property that they've just finished renovating, just listen to them and you'll notice that they'll use words like they're trying to revive the place, they're trying to rejuvenate it, they're trying to revitalize. When uh, you see an update on a smartphone, they call it a refresh. See, these are not words used to describe a place or a gadget but rather a state of being. It expresses, actually, the desire to escape the plainness and sameness of our normal lives. See, friends, it's not actually hard to figure out that there's actually a sense of, or a certain emptiness to the way we live life. The problem is it takes guts to actually do something about it. And the teacher here is showing us how to do something about it by going with the flow and living the moments that God gives, not worrying about tomorrow, but instead trusting in God who in his sovereignty has designed his creation with a rhythm, a pulse and a flow so that in each and every moment there might be joy and beauty that is fit and appropriate for that time. Now, I must admit, 
the idea of living enjoying the moment might still feel or sound a little bit wrong. But then I think of our great teacher and Lord, what our Lord said to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 28. Just listen to it. I'll read it out. Okay. Jesus says this to his disciples. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about what you are, about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and body, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barns, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet tell you not even Solomon in all splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will Clothe you, you of little faith. See, when you hear that, isn't Jesus just saying, don't worry, just live and appreciate the moments that God gives and is in control of. He's just telling us, trust God. Now, you might still be unconvinced. If that is still the case, at the very least, Consider the words of Master Ugwe from the movie Kung Fu Panda when he says, Yesterday is history and tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. That is why it is called the present. Now I must admit, he's got to be the wisest tortoise in animated history. Because I think he understands the perspective of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and 4 very well. So make time this week to take a break from the monotony of your week. On a nice sunny day, take for example a trip to Circular Quay. Buy some fish and chips and walk over to the botanical gardens. Find a spot and overlook the water. And just sit there and live the moment. Watch the world go by. Sense the sun and the breeze on your skin and feel the grass on your fingertips and grasp the beauty that is around you that is fit for that place and that time. And then bend your knees to pray and give honour and thanks for the joy that God gives you in that moment. Because life in this world is not meant to be lived in the pursuit of gain, profit or advantage. It is lived in full by receiving it as a present and as a gift from God with joy and thanksgiving to Him. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we just 
Thank you for your word and the perspective of this wise teacher that you inspired. Father, forgive us for the way we live such busy lives in this country, such busy lives that we actually forget you and also the joy and the beauty that you bring to our lives. Forgive us for the way we forget to give thanks for the life you give us here and the joy that you give us. Forgive us, Father, and help us to slow down our lives so that we might see the beauty that you have ordained in your creation, so that we might live a life that doesn't pursue all this advantage and gain that everybody else is chasing after, but rather chase you and enjoy the beauty that you give to us each and every day. And we pray, Father, that you would make this perspective the perspective by which we live by each and every day until we see the end of our days in this world. Amen.